Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Conspiracy Farm, where we don't start the conspiracies, we just add the water. And now, your host of the most state-of-the-art, most informed podcast on the interweb, I present to you, Pat Militage and Jeffrey Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for war? and the politicians have to decide uh, what we're going to, uh, what they want. Do they want to keep debt spending or do they want to climb out of this hole? And and what is government responsible for? Um, So it's going to take a little pain to get out of it. And ultimately, the voters are going to have to decide what they want. And I'm, of course, of the libertarian cloth. So I'm a guy that believes that really government isn't responsible for a whole lot and shouldn't be involved in a whole lot. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure that you're pretty close to that that level. Yeah. No, I'm I, I'm uh, unapologetically uh, conservative, but I have a lot of uh, libertarian leanings myself. Um, but I also believe in the idea of representative government. And that's that's been kind of the hardest thing for me is I've taken votes that I don't personally agree with because I believe in that representative government. I mean, people sent me there to do a good job right. a, and represent them. And uh, my my district is is very diverse. I mean, we go from the, you know, Moline, Rock Island, the inner city, all the way out to, to Whiteside County, where it's very rural and, and agricultural. So it's a it's a balancing act, and you you, you try to do the right thing. And um, well, that's yeah. really refreshing, though. I mean, because you hear yeah. you know a lot of politicians just kind of even though you know in this constitutional republic. You know, they are supposed to be, you know, exercising the will of the people, but oftentimes they kind of go with with party lines or, you know, with with the with their inside kind of crew or whatever you want to call it saying. So that's very that's very refreshing. To hear Sell them you. with their constituents. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's cool that, you know, like you said, even though you may not necessarily agree, you're you know, you were sent there to represent the people. So that's really cool. man. Yeah. Yeah. And now, obviously, you are a fire firefighter. So I'm assuming over in the state of Illinois or the city of Moline yep. has the firefighter paramedic union. Correct. So, yeah, local so that's something that you know you don't often hear of a Republican supporting. But the way I look at things is, look, if people voted for it, if if the union or if the firefighters as a whole vote for it, I'm a guy who who supports the people that want to be in it, yeah. and I'm also a person who supports the people that don't want to pay into it and don't want to be represented by it, and, and, and let the cards fall where they may. So I've always kind of been that way. And look, no matter wh- which way you have to go on it as a state senator and the way you're. Your heart feels, but you being a firefighter, that's a very dangerous job. We just had one gentleman killed and one gentleman still fighting for his life up, you know, up in Clinton. And yeah. so it's a very, very dangerous job just as law enforcement is. So that's that's a tough one for me to say those people don't deserve a, a pension because they do. Obviously, they they go through a lot of mental, physical, spiritual anguish, the stuff that they have to see. You know, you you of course as a firefighter and paramedic has seen some horrible stuff, but yeah. Um, I think I posed this question to you before when we were golfing for a fundraiser, and what I had asked was, would it make sense, is it a possible solve for the state of Illinois and for municipalities that are having a lot of trouble keeping up with those pensions, to say in the future, just figure out a way and let the unions obviously negotiate higher salaries for everybody, and then teach those people how to invest their money because they are getting paid a lot more. Um, up front, and that way that the pensions and everything on the backside aren't bankrupting a state or a municipality. Yeah, the the problem with the problem with pensions um, as a whole is well, number one, if it was easy to solve, it'd be solved already, right? Um, but 
you know, there has been that idea thrown uh, around quite a lot as what you're talking about is um, either more pay or not more pay, but just switching over to like a 401k style. The problem with that is pensions work a lot like Social Security. So I'm working now. My pension dues are paying for somebody that's retired. Right. And so it goes on and on. So if we do want to switch it's over. It's an amazing Ponzi scheme, by the way. <laughs> so if we do want to switch over to a 401k style for new, for new hires, new employees, that's fine. But we're going to have to find this huge sum of money to fill that gap. And uh, looking at the pension liability, you see kind of how big that that you know that ball of cash has to be so um you know is the pension system unsustainable i don't think so i i think uh i i think if we make some tweaks here and there we can get it back on the right path much like social security um but we have to make sure we're doing it the right way and illinois has some of the strongest language in our illinois state constitution regarding specifically pensions article 13 section uh, 12 i believe says you cannot change or diminish any pension benefits. So that has led us to what we did, uh, what they did in 2011, which was introduced tier two. Uh, they're not changing the benefit. They're only changing it for new hires. Okay. So those new hires, they have to work a little longer and uh, pay uh, differently into the pension system. Uh, the only other state that has language as strong as we do is New York, and they've actually addressed it quite well. Um, they have introduced, I think to date 12 or 13 new tiers. Okay. So, uh, you know, I think that's the way we're going to have to go unless the constitution changes. Right. And does that, does that delay the pain and potentially, I think it was in the thirties that Arkansas was the last state to file for bankruptcy. So, I mean, if, if there's some wrong turns made, I know that it, it, they are, there are rules now where it's tougher for municipalities and states to file for bankruptcy, but it's still possible. I mean, if there's some wrong turns made. If that were to happen, if that were to take place, worst case scenario, uh, do those pensions go away or at least get slashed, you know, quite a bit? Yeah. And that's and that's the big concern. And and sadly, I don't think politicians pay too much attention to it. They just want to keep taxing and spending, Um, which it's it's a lot harder for a state to claim bankruptcy because uh, the Supreme Court has, you know, has stated that it's not that they can't, but they have the ability to tax. So uh, you you can't print money, but you can print money by taxing. And we're seeing the ill effects of that right now where we Citizens. keep taxing and people are leaving. People are voting with their feet. So, so the tax base gets smaller the more they tax because people are leaving. Yeah. Um, they're renting U-Haul trucks and getting the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. And so with the tax base getting smaller, they keep raising. It's, it's really almost – it's – when I look at it, if I'm glad I don't have your job right now, yeah, that's a that's a very tough solve unless unless everybody everybody's gonna have some skin removed in this process. That's that's the only way I see it getting better. It's gonna be tough, and I tell you why I I, I do love this job though is because especially in the state of Illinois, my view on it is is if we can come up with compromise and change that can get us out of the hole we're in, what better uh, what better message to send other people and the United to the, the federal government saying if Illinois can do it, anyone could do it. Well, and not to, not to <laughs> right. you, not to because you. truly, if Illinois can't do it, anyone can. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. I, and I, I believe this with all my heart. We can if we're willing, if we have the intestinal fortitude to make the tough decision. I believe that you are willing to make the 
tough decisions. I don't believe so much in the folks sitting next to you up there in Springfield. Or yeah, down but, in Springfield. Yeah, I don't, well, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but, you know, I'm, I'm one of many, and as my high school football coach used to say, you know, if you do your 111th, every play, you'll score a touchdown every play, right? So it's getting the other 10 guys right. on board. And I think we can do that, slow but sure. Yeah, good. I mean, it is going to have to be a slow and steady race. So, I mean, not to put you in a corner or anything, but, I mean, that that's a huge debt to obviously, you know, overcome. What are just some of your just general ideas that to, to get out of that kind of huge financial hole? Your tax base is leaving in such huge numbers. I mean, that's really where you're going to get a lot of this revenue from. What, I mean, what kind of ideas? I mean, obviously, you guys are looking at, you know, marijuana legalization or recreation or, you know, however that works, and that's going to be a portion of your revenue, but sportsbook gambling. Yeah, what what are some of your other ideas to get out of the hole? Well, re- revenue is a great idea. Uh, uh, revenue is always good, but the revenue that we need to create needs to come from employment and uh, more you jobs, know, more more businesses, more jobs, uh, because those are the st- the sustainable. Um, the the marijuana um, thing is, and. and Coming from me, I'm one of the only Republicans on the negotiating team. I think, uh, you know, I think this is coming just about everywhere. So I, I'm I'm for it overall. But I hate the argument from people that I hear that we need to do this because it's going to solve our fiscal right. woes. Right. It's a ridiculous argument. We're yeah. talking about we have a $38 billion a year budget. Recreational marijuana is looking at bringing in three to $500 million a year before the cost of oversight. It's so, a Band-Aid on a juggler. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you take away the zeros, and it's like having a job that you make $38,000 a month, and you want to you want to get another job to make more money, and right. you find a job, and you're making 50 bucks. Right, right. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the truth. So, and also the, the ESG program, where they're talking about investing the, the, the pensions, uh, the block of funds, more aggressively. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously, the volatility of the stock market, things like that, that could have, I mean, that could be great. You could hit a gold mine with the pensions, mm-hmm. or, you, or you could really Super be in trouble risk. quick, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, generally speaking, over the last uh, several years, our, our um, the, the amount of money that we're getting from our investments in the pension system has been pretty good. Uh, but it, the pension problem that we have all boils down to the state skipped payments. They took pension holidays. And then from there, it's it's hard climbing your way out. It's much yeah. like making the minimum payments on your credit card bill, right? You're just you're never going to get out right. of it. Just paying on the interest. Um, but I think uh, if we can, we we have the you know we're, our pension system was modeled under the Ed- Edgar pension ramp to fix it, and then we took a pension holiday, and and then we slid back down. So if I think we can re if we reamortize the debt we have and reload the ramp, as long as we don't miss any payments. I, slow but sure over a period of time I, I i think we can we can fix it not just pay not just pay the interest on it that's correct okay uh, now as far as trump's i'm going to go to federal more as far as trump's programs and his reworking the trade agreements things like that with mexico with canada with asia has that helped illinois at all in terms of bringing back manufacturing for as a state as a whole at all well, I don't know if it's necessarily Trump's policies uh, that have, uh, you know, specifically for Illinois. But I mean, right. you look nationwide. Obviously, it's it's done some good, and um, some of the tariffs and stuff. There's there's been a little pain, especially with the soybeans and soybeans like and stuff yeah. like that. But um, you, you got somebody in there that's not going to take any crap anymore, and you know he's going to fix this. And 
Well, I, I Democrat or Republican, I always give everybody the benefit of the doubt. We'll see if it works. Yeah. And hopefully it does. Right. Right. Um, but I, I don't I don't buy into the whole, you know, everybody w- does something and they ridicule them for it. Oh, let's let's see if it works out. Yeah. Good. Good. Now, as far as your pro gun stances, mm-hmm. which I'm a, I'm a pro Second Amendment guy, obviously. The, the state of Illinois, I mean, there's a lot of people, obviously, in the state of Illinois, hunters, farmers, people who who enjoy owning guns, understand the right to own guns, the reason for owning guns. But there's a lot of people in Illinois, especially lawmakers, that don't. I mean, how much of an uphill battle is that for you, keeping the wolves at bay with, with some of their attempts at, at taking those rights? It's been a, a big uphill struggle. That, you know, that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about is is, uh, is citizenry have being armed, um, the Second Amendment, and uh, in Illinois, there's probably no worse place to be, um, and it's been an uphill battle, especially with uh, some of the Chicago <coughs> Democrats. And I, I found that the most frustrating thing about um, gun legislation, in particular, is you have this mob of legislators in Chicago that, when you talk to them off the floor. Uh, just, you know, talking as friends, they've never held a gun. They've never bought a gun. They don't know anything about it, which is why this summer I'm going to try to bring some of those uh, people over here to our Springfield, Rock River, let them see how the process works, take them out shooting. And uh, one thing, whether you're Democrat, Republican, or whatever, one language we all speak is e- economy and jobs. So if they can see that, especially over here, that this is good employment and these people are making a living. Um, you know, hopefully that changes their mindset, but you know, in Illinois we have, uh, the Foyd card. Um, you know, we have all these, you know, all this red tape when it comes to a lot uh, ownership. And, uh, I just, the other day I filed, I think it's Senate bill 58 or 85. I'm dyslexic. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it's, it's my bill that I'm filed again to repeal the Foyd card in the state of Illinois. That's awesome. You know, and, so my wife is from Montreal, Canada. She's a Quebecois. Mm-hmm. Never held a gun in her life. Ends up marrying a goon like me. <laughs> and, you know, I'm a, I'm a hillbilly, basically. Yeah. And I've always believed in guns. I mean, guns have laid, used to lay around our house when I was a kid. There were four boys, and I had one sister. And there was a gun rack downstairs, and guns were everywhere. Nobody got shot in the house. Nobody horsed around with guns. It just We had common sense. She was terrified of guns, didn't believe in them. Her mother didn't believe in them. They were just absolutely against them. Her father, who's, gosh, he just passed away at 88 years old this past year, um, never touched a gun, didn't believe in them. And I I had her go out and learn to shoot with my business partner in my law enforcement. He's an amazing instructor when it comes to guns. And he taught her how to shoot. He started her with twenty two caliber pistols all the way up to a, a 44 Magnum, and there was about 15 guns that she shot that one day. It was a five-hour course that she went through. And after she got done learning about safety, learning how to shoot, learning which end is dangerous, which end isn't, yeah. you know, the common sense stuff that goes with it, she absolutely fell in love with the sport of shooting, target shooting, and understands why people own guns, right? Yeah. And then so you bringing a bunch of lawmakers down here to Springfield and, and Rock River, whatever, wherever you bring them, they're – I think they're going to come away and say, okay, we get it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm getting ready to introduce a bill uh, to here probably in the next couple of weeks. 
it's modeled off of what Iowa just did, and it will allow school districts to teach gun safety or hunter safety course if they so choose. And I think if you look back, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm willing to make a, a pretty substantial wager that any of these mass shootings that have happened in the past, any of these uh, shootings in Chicago that we see on a daily basis, I'm willing to bet that not one of them ever took a hunter safety course, has never right. uh, had proper gun uh, safety training. Uh, you know, if you teach our young kids what a gun does and how to respect it, uh, I don't think you'll see some of the stuff we see. A lot. And, there, of course, there are a lot more things that go into it. The, You know, there's a big difference, obviously, between a, a kid that's growing up in the rough areas of Chicago with the crime and that, that culture that's going on up there, unfortunately, and other kids that are in different parts of the state. And the thing that I, you know, we've done research on, and when I read, you know, when you go – Back through mass shootings, mm-hmm. about 95% of the people that are responsible for na- mass shootings in the past <clears throat> 25 years were basically raised on drugs like Ritalin and Prozac and things like that. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that those drugs are directly responsible, mm-hmm. but you know the, the, the mental illness and a lot of the stuff that has Im- exploded over the past few decades, um, certainly it, it has to be attributed to something. And I can tell you that you know, a lot of people say that it is processed foods that are causing problems. There's a lot of things that go into this that are causing the human mind and the body not to work correctly anymore and things going haywire and people are picking up guns and killing, killing you know, innocent children. Okay. And they're doing those studies now. I mean, you know, what is it, correlation or causation? Like, which is, you know, which is actually causing it? But, I mean, like you said, Champ, whatever they call the serotonin reuptake inhibitors, almost every one of these, there's some element of some kind of pharmaceutical or Ritalin or whatever in that, that, that plays into this. So, again, whether it's processed foods, you know, diet, nutrition, or these things that are literally changing the chemical of people's brains, and when you look on the, the, the inserts of these, it, it causes suicidal ideation or homicidal ideation. So it's like that's a, that's a huge deal, man. I mean, obviously, you know. Pharmac- and it never gets brought up when we, when we see mainstream news and the discussion of gun violence. It's always focused on guns. Right. It's a tool, just like a hammer or anything else, a saw that's laying around in the garage. It's a tool. And so, in the end, something is causing this in society, a combination of things, whatever, Video however games. we want to break it down. But it's not the guns. No, that's true. And, and uh, my former seatmate, who now just retired, Senator Tim Bivens, he represented the, the, the district just north of me. Um, he told me an interesting statistic one time that uh, the first mass shooting happened in, in, a, in a school happened... I think he said one year to the date after the Supreme Court ruled taking God out of public schools. Well, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I remember growing up and say I pledge allegiance to the flag and that doesn't happen anymore. There's a lot of that stuff that's not going on anymore. Yes. And, uh, you know, it, I mean, Paul Harvey, you know, what was it, 1964, 63? Late sixties said, "If I were the devil, remember that speech." Oh yeah, it's crazy. So when you listen to that, he was he was Spot he was on. Nostradamus, dude. <laughs> yes. He Spot was Nostradamus on. moving forward. Yeah. He, he knew what was coming. Yeah, he absolutely. could see it plain as day, and it's 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 scary that you bring that up. Well, something I want to ask you about as a, as a former paramedic. Two questions actually, because we I lived in St. Louis, and there was a lot of uh, paramedics that were getting ambushed and shot and killed. And I think in a lot of states now, they're bringing out legislation to arm um, EMTs and paramedics. What do you think about that? I actually introduced that bill uh, two years ago Nice uh, to allow firemen to be able to carry concealed on the job. Uh, I, 
I, I obviously didn't go anywhere uh, because the <laughs> the anti-gunners have control of the legislature right now. But, yeah. you know, I find it ridiculous that I, as a concealed carry holder, I can carry concealed when I'm not on duty. Uh, but when I'm on duty in more dangerous situations right. that I can't. I mean, that makes sense with Illinois law. No offense to you, obviously, but like the gun restrictions like in Chicago, they, they think more, you know, restricting of guns is somehow going to help because i mean they got some of the most strictest gun laws in illinois and look at the just rampant shootings yeah. and deaths that are in chicago yeah. i mean it's, i used to live there and not to get into the, the home and square thing but i mean that some of those areas are just absolutely it's it's, war zones. it's, it's war straight zones. up thunderdome it is fun though debating some of this stuff when when we get a chance to on the floor some of this gun legislation uh perfect example that that bill that um uh, that I just talked about with the firefighters being able to carry concealed on the job. It got sent to a subcommittee and I had a hearing <laughs> on it. And uh, one of the opponents was the police police chiefs association. Wow. And we were in uh, this subcommittee hearing and, and I said, chief, what, what do you have against this bill? He said, firemen shouldn't carry guns. That's what cops are for. And I said, chief, uh, do your officers carry a fire extinguisher in their squad cars? <laughs> and he said, yeah. And I just stared at him, Touché. and it took about five <laughs> seconds, and he's like, it's not the same. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's an awesome response, man. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. They think, they equate having, and I'm not saying this to disparage any police officers, because I love police I've trained police officers for 25 years almost now. But a lot of people equate a police officer's uniform with a higher level of existence and training, and that's not the case. Yes, they have to qualify with their guns. Yes, they have to do some defensive tactics training on how to go hands-on with people. Neil, do you know the average across the country time in one year span how much most police departments make their police officers do defensive tactics training? How many hours would you say in one year? Do they do? Oh, man. I'm going to guess, and I would say 40. You eight, told me this when I first had you on my original eight, pocket. Yeah, eight insane. hours. Insane. Eight hours. And that's, there's many that don't have that much at all. Okay, so now they're taking people that don't know how to handle another human being, don't know how to put their hands on another person, unless they've gone somewhere and gotten training at a martial arts facility, whatever, done jujitsu or wrestled, you know, grown right. up an athlete, an athlete like you have. Um, so now they've given them – Tools on their belts, that's the only thing they have to rely on when the proverbial dung hits the fan, right? right. So that's that's the scary part. But the uniform does not turn someone into into superhuman. It actually makes them a target, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of civilians out there, including uh, people who are, whether you're <clears throat> off-duty or an on-duty fireman, which you're not a civilian at that point, who are more than qualified to carry a weapon, mm-hmm. right? If a civilian can carry a weapon around, because of their carry, concealed carry permit, I, I can't fathom why paramedics and police officers or uh, firemen would not be allowed to. It just it defies the rules of common sense that there are actually people against it. Well, that's the thing about common sense. It's not very common anymore. <laughs> well, I think that those people would have common sense if there weren't um, folks who were pulling the strings. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, right. And concealed carry holders overall, they're – they are responsible people. You don't hear of a concealed carry holder uh, 
in a restaurant getting into an argument and shooting somebody right. just because they got in an argument. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and which to your point about, you know, officers being a target, um, I'm not against open carry, but it's why, even if we did have open carry, I would carry concealed. Yeah. I don't want anybody to know that I'm carrying. Yeah. That, that's St. Louis. Um, having lived there the last 10 years, they recently just, I mean, it's, Open carry, concealed carry. I mean, and they all the lawmakers thought it was just going to be this big nightmare scenario, and it totally has not. I mean, obviously on the north side, it's just like Chicago, but you're not just seeing, like you said, no one's running. Before those laws happened, you had these kind of goobers who stepped off their Xbox and then walked in a Starbucks with an AR over their shoulder just to kind of, you know, make a weird kind of whatever they were doing. But yeah, per per that legislation, when they just kind of open it up and conceal, you know, concealed open, it was it's been fine. I yeah. mean, like I said, you still have your crime and stuff, but. Legal gun owners aren't aren't doing that. Yeah, aren't a part of the problem. Yeah. So what else you got going on? No, oh, another question. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, go I ahead. Another question. The, the opioid crisis, man. It's like they're they're starting to have legislation now to start to hold these doctors accountable for over prescribing these these oxys and stuff. Because I mean, as you know, the epidemic is what? What is it? Seventy thousand a year. The, dying the Vietnam, now? the Vietnam War. Every single year. I mean, those numbers are just absolutely staggering. And um. It, What's, what's your thoughts on the opioid crisis? And then we'll, we'll get into like how some Farming. of this heroin's getting into, uh, no, how some of this heroin's getting into the country. Yeah. I did an opioid roundtable last year to kind of bring in the community and discuss uh, the issue in my district specifically. Luckily, in, in, uh, here in my district, it hasn't been quite as bad as, you know, other places, but it's getting worse. And uh, we've done some legislation that can <clears throat> uh, kind of help with it. One being if you're prescribed an opioid, uh, now you can forgo that and get a medical marijuana card uh, instead. I think that's a good option. Uh, another thing that we did was we made it more readily available for uh, the kind of the teledoc services for um, um, for psych patients uh, and uh, people addicted to opioids to be able to you know Skype in and and talk to a doctor rather than have to wait in line and, and see a doc. But this is a societal issue this is not going to be fixed with legislation I agree uh yeah. this has to be communities coming together holding people accountable holding their loved ones accountable and uh and fixing it that way legislation is going to fix this well, i mean as far as you know getting it as far as these things being so readily available and so almost over prescribed by doctors i mean th thoughts on on holding doctors responsible for any of these oh absolutely and and just like I, I I think that's definitely something we should do is hold doctors accountable that that are over prescribing uh, these opioids just like in the state of Illinois going back to the gun thing um, the one of the biggest reasons that we have such high gun crime rate in the city of Chicago is these activist judges are letting these people out with you know probation prosecute these people to the fullest and you'll start to see a downtick. Wow. Um, there was a, 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 a lady that bought three guns legally uh, in the city of Chicago. Uh, this was about five or six years ago. She sold them, uh, and then those guns were used in, in, in a crime. The lady was given three months probation. <sighs> wow. That's, no. that's not a deterrent. That's no. Like so, I, I mean, that's, that's part of the biggest problem. So, basically, it, it was a felon given... Give, felons giving her money to go buy the guns because yep. she could, yep. handing them over, and they were going and using them in the commission of a crime. And yeah, you know something I've heard, and this is this is I used to live in Chicago and used to teach in Cabrini Green. Um, there's been rumors for years about just basically more of the South Side, but like caches of weapons just being found in alleys. 
and then people taking them and just I, I don't know if you've heard of that. I don't know if it's just a rumor, if it's a conspiracy theory, but I mean, as a part of you know, maybe, yeah. Have you heard anything like that? Just like uh, guns spe- showing up? Not specifically, but it. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. 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 I don't know if it's you know deliberate, like hey, let's let's let them kill themselves off. But that's kind of I don't even know if it's necessarily true. But when I heard that, it was crazy. And then um, I used to work near this place called Home and Square. And yeah, I, tell him what the tell him what the little the little kids yeah. he used to teach used to. So he was a teacher up there in roughest area of Chicago. What'd you teach? Um, it was uh, kind of history, just uh, contemporary world issues type stuff. It was not too long after nine eleven. So yeah, yeah. it was. But, um, yeah, this place called Holman Square, which is what they call kind of a black site, a police black site. So supposedly people would go in and not come out and people would come out with, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not funny, their organs, some of their organs harvested. Oh, yeah. Never. What, I mean, the, what was, the little kids tell you? That's what would happen. They would, some people you would go in there and either A, not come out. Or come out, or I thought you were going to do the impression of a five-year-old telling you or seven-year-old telling no. you. <laughs> oh yeah, I got to hear this now. <laughs> do it. No, do they it. Weren't, they weren't that young. I, t- I taught a little bit older kids that you know I was Mr. Jeff. So Mr. Jeff, have you heard about Homer Square? <laughs> <laughs> no, please tell me. And, well, this is also this is all also a group of kids who thought Candyman was real, the horror movie about the guy who was killing people in Cabrini Green. So I just I just found it interesting because I did wind up hearing it after I left Chicago, hearing about Home and Square. Um, I won't even say his name. There was a reporter who, you know, I was once kind of cool with, and he went in there and got kind of not roughed up, but kicked off. And he was basically doing an investigative report on Home and Square. And um, they didn't like him being anywhere near. He couldn't yeah. even stand on the sidewalk on the opposite side of the street where the hotel was. They didn't even want him around. It, so it, the way their reaction was tells you something's going on there. It was it was very odd. It was yeah. very odd because I saw that whole thing go down yeah. also. So it was very interesting. But yeah, the opioid crisis. The heroin, how it's getting in the country, um, that, that's that's stuff that we've researched quite a bit in terms of, you know, it's not just over the border. It's not just the, you know, the, the drug dealers that are bringing it in type thing. We've, we've seen some stuff being funded with, well, some operations. I mean... Iran Contra obviously was funded mm. with with drug money, so there's a lot yeah. of stuff federally. Well, this, that's this going kind on. of I mean, we've talked about this a lot of times with, like I said, our former Russian Spetsnaz guy and just other other people who, whether we want to recognize it or not, there is almost a uh, a black a black budget, if you will, an underground budget that kind of uh, like you said, uh, Congress wouldn't give permission for Reagan and those guys to do what they did down in Central America, so they started using drug money to go do it. But it's it's drug, it's people, it's it's guns. Uh, it's human organs. Organs. I mean, this is this has been confirmed by a lot of people. So, it's kind of interesting to start hearing about this kind of underground, not just shadow government, shadow economy, like into the trillions yeah. that does a lot of this stuff. That you know, it's kind of off books. But uh, yeah, yeah it, it, speaking of opioids, I mean that the the new stuff. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily new, but it's kind of making the news lately. Is the the car fentanyl? Yeah. The fentanyl's terrible, it, it, man. I, I there was uh, I read an article. Um, there was a, a, fi- a fireman that responded to a call and just walked into the room and like brushed up against something and killed him. Yeah, I, mean, I just saw a police is... officer on video ODing yeah. just because he opened the bag and it just just yeah. uh, like a speck of it got into his nostrils and dropped him and they had to give him Narcan to bring him back and yeah. save his life. And there's, I mean, I I sat on the board here in Davenport uh, for the opioid crisis stuff that's going on. And the nightmare stuff I'm hearing, they're they're hitting people with Narcan two to three times in one day because they OD three times in one day. Yeah, yeah. These people are 
I mean, this is a really, really severe, severe situation. So, yeah. and, and you know, that's what the addicts look for, right? You kill somebody with your product, that's the good stuff, right? Right. That's crazy, man. No, that's that's honestly, unfortunately, really, really true. Like, yeah, what? They, I can die? Let me get a hit of that. Like, yeah. Wow. And they have, and they have, you know, they have scooped up, you know, three, four hundred pounds of fentanyl coming across the border. Which is enough to kill the United States. Yeah. Right, three to 400 pounds of narcotics. I mean, th- what they say, they, they made a bust up near Boston that was 25 pounds, and that's enough to kill everyone in Boston. Yeah. So that's insane. The fact that that's even created, the fact that there should be a death penalty for anybody who f- manufactures it. Yeah. In my mind. That's, that stuff shouldn't exist on the planet. Yeah. Well, and that's another piece of legislation we did here a couple years ago. I voted for it, but I took pause to it being a, being a medic and... and you know, having to go on some of these calls and giving Narcan, the bill was that anybody can buy Narcan now. So you can go get it over the counter. Holy cow. Which, Isn't it pretty expensive? Am I thinking? Yeah, that? everybody should have it technically, right? Yeah, well, that's the thought behind it. But at the same time, like in, in my brain, having seen this stuff go on and having to give Narcan, are people going to start buying it now as like a safety net? Oh, right, wow. Right? right. Yeah. Like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to take more than I usually do, so watch me and give me that. That is so... That's, that's ridiculous. I mean, p- p- honestly, and I got I to gotta just keep it real. I mean, part of me, you don't ever want to see people's lives lost like this, but at the end of the day, man, this is kind of social Darwinism, dude. You know, we got to thin the herd a little bit. I mean, if it's not that kind of thing... No, seriously, that kind but of... There's, but there's people, I think, um, things that I've heard where somebody would would smoke a marijuana cigarette that had heroin laced in it and it yeah. had fentanyl and they right, died. Right. So they in no way, shape, or form no, expected what that. You're, what you're talking about, like, yeah, I'm just going to get messed up, dude, and I got my Narcan here, so I'm fine. Like, that kind of logic. If, if, if You're that, already playing with the Grim exactly. Reaper. Exactly. Yeah. So if, if that's not going to take you out, something else will. Like, huh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow dry my hair in the tub. Let's see what happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's Cody's toaster. Yeah, exactly. Something's going to take you out if that's how you're thinking. So, man, that's just... Uh, yeah. It's just so sad because a lot of it is children. And I'm mean, actually it's not even kids, man. I have friends from high school, her mom OD'd. I'm like, what? It's yeah. Crazy. So moving on a little bit. We don't want to keep sending. You want to work on do farm bills, agriculture, some well, of that as, stuff? As someone who had served on an agriculture committee, we've all seen and we've all heard the. I mean, what is uh, Illinois is the second corn producer in the U.S., 14.89%. I forget what that stat's from, maybe a few years ago, but we're a huge corn producer. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of monoculture uh, farming. Is, is doing a lot of damage with the kind of stuff, you know, Monsanto, those seeds, that that GMO seed, A, is is poisoning, you know, animals and people and, you know, that. But for Monsanto to to then shut down farms because, you know, they're. Allegedly. No, I well, I've, I've seen. A- enough, allegedly poisoning. Well, okay. No, there's there's been a, a friend. <laughs> I mean, they, they have they have found studies to show even with rats or whatever, what, you know, from tumors to kidney failure to organ failure, what some of this GMO stuff does. But even outside of that, the health effects, um, you know, Monsanto shutting down family farms who have had their farms cross-pollinated with Monsanto seed. And then the Monsanto comes in like, oh, you guys, you're basically violating the patent. And like, well, we don't have Monsanto stuff. And then they test their stuff. And because it's been cross-pollinated, farms are being shut down. You're looking at, uh, I forget the stat, it was like almost $100, $200 million in settlements that Monsanto had to pay or that were paid out. But yeah, uh, there's a new there's a new reversal, a new law, I believe, that was passed where farmers can now sue Monsanto for yeah. cross pollen. Right? Yeah, I just seen that the other day, actually. Which yeah. is a good, which is a great thing for the individual, for the family farmer. Sure. Yeah. Because now they've got a defense. Yeah. Now they can fight back, which is awesome. And it looks like Monsanto, with the judgment 
for a massive amount of money from the the gentleman that got cancer from uh, glyphosate or what glyphosate. Do I, yeah, glyphosate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it, it's almost like the, the the coin has flipped a little bit on Monsanto. Yeah. Yeah, well, no. See, see, Monsanto had, as of as of November 20, 2012, Monsanto had filed 142 lawsuits against farmers for violations of its tech agreement and its patents and GMO seeds, and then um, involving 410 farms and 56 uh, farms that are small businesses in 27 states. So it's a little little bit of everywhere. And like I said, the estimated the estimated settlements were you know four times they said the record judgments. Normally it was twenty one point six million. Now it's up to one hundred and sixty point six million from settlements of Monsanto. So there's a lot of there's a lot of um, not legislation but litigation going on with Monsanto, yeah. and that's cool if, if farmers are able to protect themselves better now. Because the one I saw was like Farm Inc. or something like that, some documentary. I mean, the guy was like fifty years old. It was a farm that's been in his family for almost like a hundred years, and he's like, they came to my farm, they tested my stuff, saw it was cross pollinated, and on the spot drained his his silos, like six or seven silos, just pulled the thing and just. He's like, I just lost, you know, however many, you know, it's just his livelihood, essentially. Yeah. And then afterwards, they found out he was clean. But it's like, wow, how much did you have to go through to get exonerated? I mean, it's just crazy yeah. how Monsanto's just monopolized. So my, I guess my larger question is, you know, what are your thoughts? I mean, on on how, you know, how predatory uh, Monsanto is with making sure almost every corn seed in the U.S. is theirs, even knowing the, the deleterious health effects? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm for uh, the, the any legislation that we can repeal or, or move forward that gives more individual liberty is is the best way to go, and especially for our farmers. And in Illinois, you're right. I mean, we're, we're the farmers are the largest employer in the in the nation. Agriculture is whether it's actually farming or you know John Deere or whatever right. it might be. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, the we have to make sure that um, you know people are not being bullied by you know the big the big corporations well and then we find out you know monsanto executives whether it's republican or democrat wind up going up to head the fda the usda you know what these you know some of these acronym what's some of the other ones the u.s epa the, the jobs USA, are interchangeable commerce justice department yeah and it's like it doesn't even matter what political ideology uh, these corporations wind up putting people in these seats that wind up protecting them and then giving kind of the farmers enough us the shaft a little bit but if the laws are changing that's awesome yeah i'm with it like I said, that's <laughs> see, see, seeing some of the the, the little and that was the weird thing. Some of the tests they were doing on rats, it was it was only ninety day tests. So it's like literally from what I've heard and what I've read, the the effects and the tumors and all these things start happening after the ninety days. So the executives of Monsanto are like, no, we did a ninety day study and everything was all good. They can say that and that they're absolutely true, but the, the things start manifesting after the ninety day period. Yeah. Some of these studies, yeah, so day like, ninety one, the rat died. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, being in politics, I tell you what, that is one thing that. I have found to be absolutely hilarious is the skewing of statistics is oh, it, sure. it's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, you know, 99.9% of shark attacks happen in shallow water. <laughs> well, of course you do. Cause that's where the people are. You know, <laughs> you can make anything sound good. That's awesome. I think this guy missed his, missed his calling. You need to go do some funny bone business. over yeah. here. <laughs> so what is, what is the right now in the, in the state of Illinois, Republican to Democrat ratio. It's a very lot to a very little. <laughs> I don't know the numbers. Uh, well, actually, yeah, I do. There's 59 Senate seats. Republicans hold 18. Okay, so yeah, you're definitely outnumbered. Um, and in the House, there's 119 seats, and I think Republicans have 62. 
Okay. Yeah. So they have Democrats have super majorities in both chambers. Okay. And, and the governor's office as of today. And I have this fact or fiction: Did anyone enter any legislation that would have been a vote on annexing um, Chicago out of the state of Illinois and making it its own state? Has uh, that ever been brought in as a, a possible legislation? No, it has not. And actually, it, it believe it or not, I've actually looked into that, and it's pretty easy to do is it yeah it really is so uh, watch out chicago I, I, so between chicago and springfield just make them kind of like satellite their own just individual yeah, yeah. district of columbia <laughs> there you go. There places you go. no but seriously as far as the process i mean it wouldn't be easy to do but the process yeah. is pretty simple it takes i think it's uh like 40 percent of the population would have to sign a petition and then once you got that, then it would it's a simple act of Congress. I think wow. you know that is crazy easy. So so it would take the forty percent and then you guys to get control of the of, of the Congress. Oh right? well you annex Chicago and Illinois is about as Republican as Kansas. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. So I think that's something for you to work on in the future. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, start signing petitions, man. See how I plant seeds like that? I, I see that. I, I think he's hooked. I think he's hooked on that one. All right. Do you well, have any more questions uh, for the No, Senate? man. This is, this is, we could probably sit here and chop it up forever because Illinois is just, yeah, they're, they're struggling right now. The bridge. We have one, oh, we have to talk about the bridge. Is the bridge actually going to make it to Illinois? <laughs> I know you get asked that all yeah. the time. What, no. 74 bridge? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I mean... It's you guys drive by it probably all the time. Is it's, that federally funded? Uh, so most of it, I think it's, I think it's eighty five percent federally funded. Okay. Uh, and then the, um, the other fifteen percent is split between the two. Okay, states. because the jokes of bridge to nowhere, you know, <laughs> right. constantly going. Oh. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> You've never no, heard I, that? No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, here, here a few years ago, I, I, you know, I had to really push hard to get the seventy five million dollars. Um, from Illinois state government to kind of get the project going on the Illinois side. Wow. And I was able to secure that. And I got people calling me saying, oh, we're just building a new bridge so people have a nicer road to move over to Iowa and, and this and that. And <laughs> a nicer road to move to Iowa. Um, Speeding up the exodus. Right. It's called the express lane. The right. express lane, yeah. There's be four of them. So, and then we have one other question, at least I do, on the – the speed rail or light rail or whatever they want to call it from the Illinois quad cities over to Chicago. Is that something that do you think is ever going to happen? Yeah, it it is going to happen. And the holdup right now is you're having to deal with federal government, state government, municipal government, and two rail lines. Okay. Um, So trying to get everybody on board is, is a task. And it seems like we got all the ducks in a row except for one rail line. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's coming. It's just a matter of when the funding has been appropriated. It's there. And yeah. ultimately, does that benefit anyone but the Chicago economy? No, I think it really does benefit our area in the sense that we have uh, Augustana is a perfect example. Okay, a lot um, of kids from Chicago go to school there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the idea that the in the grand scheme of things, eventually 
the idea is once it gets to the Quad Cities, then it will go to Iowa City and then Omaha. Okay. Um, I'm originally from Nebraska. Right. Uh, play ball there. There's a lot of farm boys that love their John Deere stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be yeah. hopping on that train coming to see the, the John Deere Commons right. every week. Well, and the way I see it, you know, with the Augustana kids being from Chicago and stuff, I mean – it's not cheap to go to Chicago, so technically, probably most of those kids have brand new Mercedes Benzes anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was raised a little different than those kids. You know? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. For sure. So, well, Neil, thank you very much for coming in studio. We really oh, appreciate yeah, it. And thanks, guys. For sure, man. And what we were talking about off air a little bit, you know, Illinois is kind of notorious for, you know, a little bit of shadiness, if you know what I mean. You seem like a very genuine guy, and please do all you can, man, to keep doing what you're doing and representing the people and stay out of the swamp my friend no i appreciate it man and uh it was a pleasure being on and um i'm back on duty at moline tomorrow so uh you guys call 911 over there you probably see my ugly mug right? all right buddy <laughs> right be on. careful on the job all right thanks guys senator neil Thank anderson you. ladies and gentlemen peace stay tuned there will always be more